CBHDD is reminding people that the Georgia Crisis and Access Line can help those worried about opioid and stimulant misuse. The toll-free number is online and is active 24-7. More information at opioidresponse.info. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Political Rewind. We're glad to have you here for our show today. Uh, I'm Bill Nygut. Uh, I've got a great panel standing by to talk about a lot of different issues. Let me introduce them now. Uh, I'm going to start. We usually start right here in the studio. Let's do things a little differently. We have standing by in our Savannah Bureau, Adam Van Brimmer. He is the editorial editor of the Savannah News and Savannah News Now, the online uh, version of the newspaper. How you doing down there, Adam? Hi, Bill. Thanks very much. It's savannahnow.com for folks looking us up on. Oh, the thank you very much. I appreciate that correction. Um, you've been you've been really pounded with rain down your way. I mean, we've had it up here in Metro, but you've been hit hard down there, too. How are things going? Yeah, it looks like ends of days looking out the window right now here. But, you know, it's the summer. It's the mid-afternoon. It's time for a rain or a thunderstorm. All right. (laughs) Well, we're glad you're with us from Savannah. Darshan Kendrick is here, state representative, a Democrat. Um, What's the, tell me about your, the shape of your district and who all is included in it. I, I, Always have to ask people that question. Well, it's shaped like the state of Kentucky. That's the best way to describe it. So I have about 40 percent of my districts in DeKalb County where I was um, born and raised and then about 60 percent in South Gwinnett. So uh, I have half of the city of Loganville, but I also have um, portions outside the city of Lithonia. So. It's an interesting district. We're glad to have you back on Thank the you. show. Thanks for being here, Darsha. And right across from you, if you're watching us on Facebook Live, which you can do by going to the GPB news page on Facebook, former state representative Ed Lindsay. Uh, Ed represented uh, mostly the city of Atlanta, especially the northern climes of the city of Atlanta, and now is the uh, head of government affairs in the state of Georgia for the world's large. I always love saying the world's <laughs> largest law firm Dettons. How are you, Ed? I'm doing just fine. Thank you very much for having me. Sure. And next to you, uh, Ariel Hart. She is the health and, I guess, health and medicine. It, you get both of those we titles? We call it health care, health and medicine, all that. All, that all of that. Care. Ariel Hart. Thanks for being here uh, today, Ariel. It's a pleasure to have you here as well. And let me start with you. You know, it's interesting, Ariel, <laughs> and, and to all of you. When I started thinking about topics that I thought would be great for discussion today, I didn't. I, I knew there was at least one healthcare issue that might be worth talking about, which is one of the reasons Ariel was gracious enough to agree to come in. It turns out, suddenly, healthcare is a great topic for conversation. Jeez. We've got three or four things popping, and I think Ariel, let let you lead us off on this. The, the most significant of which is that today, Speaker of the House David Ralston announced that he is creating a House Study Committee on Maternal Mortality. And he's, the quote, and I'll let you expand on this, is Georgia simply cannot continue to have one of the nation's worst rates of maternal mortality. This is an issue which impacts all Georgians and demands a fact-based approach to problem solving. How, Ariel, you've written about this. How bad is the problem? Yeah, that's well said. It is really bad. It's bad in the United States, and it's bad in Georgia specifically. Um, About a decade ago, Amnesty International, the human rights organization, did a report on maternal mortality in the United States and called it a public health emergency um, and ranked Georgia worst of all 50 states. Um, And strangely enough, so that got a lot of attention here in the state. It's only gotten worse. Um, And there's a lot of question as to why. Um, You know, you can certainly pick at the data. Data is always iffy. But uh, if you look at apples to apples data, any way you look at it, it's gotten worse. Um, and, you know, certainly one of the issues is C-sections uh, have increased dramatically since then. Um, and that is contributing to the mer- maternal mortality rate. But just overwhelmingly, it has to be lack of care. Darshan, uh, the, the data shows us that it is particularly a problem in uh, among African-American women in Georgia, right? Yeah. If you're a black woman in Georgia, you are three to four times more likely to die in childbirth, regardless of education, location, socioeconomic background 
background, it is startling, um, the, the statistics on that. Ed, um, I can't help but think, look, I mean, this is a health issue and a health problem yeah. by itself. But nothing is without a political uh, layer these days. And, of course, during the debate over HB 481, a lot of opponents to that bill, which virtually outlaws abortion in Georgia, said over and over again, we should be focused on the problems that women, uh, pregnant women are having, uh, delivery of uh, babies, the fact that rural uh, communities don't have doctors. So it's possible this is a coincidence, but it strikes me in some ways this is a reaction to the pushback uh, that we saw during HB 481. Well, uh, you know, I mean, 481 was a very emotional uh, time in the General Assembly, um, and you had folks uh, with very deep beliefs on both sides of that issue. I, all I really care about, quite frankly, is that we do have a very serious study committee going and trying to uh, trying to uh, dig deep as to the cause in Georgia and and take a hard look uh, in regards to you know why are the numbers so much higher for African American women than for other groups uh, you know what impact it is having on in terms of rural areas uh, when it comes to it I'm I'm sort of curious Ariel I don't know if the data has been borne out or not as to whether or not this is a geographic problem. It, it uh, is. In terms of how much worse is but it both. in the more mm-hmm. rural areas than it is in the more urban areas, uh, and if, you know, in terms of the the quality of the access of care off the air, I was telling folks about the fact that uh, and a niece of, of mine and Elizabeth, who's very dear to us, uh, had a very serious uh, issue when she, uh, she was giving birth to her second child and would have died if she had not been at the quality health care. A facility that she was at at a hospital uh, that she was at. Um, and so, you know, the, the quality of care that she received and allowed her to survive is the kind of quality care that I think all of us want to see for any woman who's giving birth anywhere in this state. So, you know, yes, I know we're all tempted to go to the politics. Personally, I want to see us focus on, on the public policy. Yeah, well said, and, well said. And, and make sure that, that every woman in this state who has a child uh, – you know, receives the quality care necessary if something goes wrong. And that's really that really is where it has to start. The the hardest thing in, in reporting this story that I wrote about maternal mortality last fall, the hardest thing by far was getting the different pieces of expertise linked. You look at an OBGYN or someone, you know, deeply steeped in in the medicine of maternal mortality, they understand exactly why a woman died. Um, you talk to somebody who crunches the numbers and does the data, and they really know. I, I was really impressed with the folks I talked to at DPH, the Department of Public Health, about, um, you know, how they know what data they have. They know what they don't have. They know the faults in it. They know what they need. But getting those two together to say, okay, these are the things that will move the needle in making more people more healthy – you know, that kind of expertise is really hard to come by. Um, Adam, the uh, committee is going to be, the study committee is going to be uh, co-chaired uh, by Sharon Cooper, who, of course, is from uh, Marietta, and uh, Mark Newton of Augusta. They're both Republicans. Uh, Cooper chairs the House Health, House Health and Human Services Committee. Newton's a physician specializing in emergency medicine. I understand we've lost uh, him for a minute, Adam, for a minute or two. We'll try to get him right back. Uh, Darshan, I, you know, there, there are also then three Republicans and two Democrats on the study committee. Now, it's not surprising that a Republican speaker would have a, a, a balance of, of uh, Republicans over Democrats. You know, if we're taking politics out of it, it's kind of too bad we don't have a, a bipartisan co-chair, a, a Republican and a Democrat, to really make the point that Ed's making that this is an issue that everyone is concerned about. Right, and particularly when you talk about black women, um, I want to give a shout out to my colleague, Representative Abel Mabel Thomas, who unfortunately is not on the committee, but she really has been pushing this forward, this discussion forward, um, and she fought to actually make sure that two African-American women were present on the committee. So when you go back and, and talk about sort of 
representation. Um, Unfortunately, black women, even though we are three to four times more likely to die, regardless of how much money we make and our background in education, we really had to fight to get those even those two slots on the uh, on the committee. You pointed out uh, before the show, you sent me a note saying that you, in fact, submitted a, uh, a resolution. What last session or this current this, this, this current this current session calling for a study committee. Correct. And uh, it, they gave it to a Republican instead. Yeah, so me, I was the uh, first signer, and then Representative Abel Mabel Thomas was the uh, was the second signer. And we had um, Carolyn Hughley and Karen Bennett, who's chair of the GLBC. Um, and my number is lower than the actual number of the study committee, which just proves that um, that my my bill um, got into the hands of uh, of Representative Newton. Um, we're moving forward, obviously. Uh, I. I, I don't necessarily think we need to study something we already know, but it is the way that we move through the process is by getting a study committee. And um, and so at least we do have two African-American women on the committee. And I, I would say that um, Representative um, Kendrick is absolutely right. There's a lot we do know, but there's also a lot we don't know. What don't yeah. we know? Um, so we don't know um, exactly what kinds of changes that you could mandate that would really move the needle. I can tell you one thing. Look at the fact that one half of Georgia's 159 counties do not contain an OBGYN. Um, you can't tell me that that is not dispositive. There are women, um, we, we have, Georgia has, the best thing we've done is create um, a review committee of doctors who go through each individual death and say why this person died. That's really valuable. It's also very limited in what it can do. But you look at that, what they've found, there are women who died because they never had any care. They ne- they gave birth, and that's the first time they saw a doctor. And people don't know that you die for in the year after giving birth. You bleed out. You um, you know that's something that can happen as you're giving birth. But then you have all of these heart problems that are a major cause of maternal mortality afterwards. And people are not looking for the signs. All of those things are they require education. They require care. And you know one thing that's just been called out again and again is the lack of access to medical care that a lot of Georgians have. I want to get Ed in, but before I do, one quick note here, Ariel. Uh, We talk about how Georgia has the worst uh, uh, maternal mortality rate in the country, and and as bad as the country of Uzbekistan, you point out, but the numbers are nevertheless relatively small. They are. And and what they are, more than anything, is a signal. They're a signal of... um, poor care beforehand and of larger problems that exist. So um, the latest Maternal Mortality Review Committee, they're running about five years behind, um, was that there were 250 maternal deaths altogether. And of those 26, they found after looking through the data, um, for every 100,000 births were pregnancy related. You know, well, they, they, they are small, but they are significant, of obviously, they are. to to the the families who are traumatized by what what happens. And the fact of the matter is, I really love the quote you had in your article from the doctor, I believe, in Clay County, Doctor Kinsell, uh, who basically said that you know we shouldn't be having these numbers uh, in a first world country, and and we shouldn't. And and I will say this is that the, is that this study committee does feed into. Uh, a focus by the speaker and by several members of the General Assembly, a lot of whom were co-signers uh, to the study co- proposed study committee uh, from the rural areas, uh, you know, with his rural uh, development council that he's put together. This feeds very well into the focus that, that, that the General Assembly, uh, in a bipartisan fashion, is has been trying to figure out uh, how to deal with the rural areas. Well, I'm glad the- you mentioned that. Because, um, and I understand Adam is uh, back with us. I'm going to give him a chance to get back up to speed on our conversation, and then we'll get him into the conversation. But, Ed, you just said an important thing. We know that for the last couple of sessions, at least now, the General Assembly really has looked at what can we do uh, for rural Georgia in so many areas, healthcare, yeah. broadband, whatever. And, 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 and Ariel points out that it is a lack of OBGYNs that contributes to the to the problems we have with with pregnant women in rural parts of the state. The unfortunate part of this is the General Assembly is searching for solutions, but they are so hard to come by. Well, they are. Uh, but, you know, particularly in rural areas, attracting good 
uh, quality doctors into those rural areas, particularly with the expertise dealing with OBGYN, which is a very difficult field of medicine uh, to practice in. Uh, in terms of the demands that are made on the doctors. So you, you do have that problem. But the fact of the matter is you're not going to have a quality of life in a community unless you've got quality health care, a quality education, and, uh, and 21st century technology in terms of broadband. Uh, you're not going to be able to attract the businesses that you want and be able to have the quality of life you want without those things. All right. Let me, Adam, I think you're back with us, right? Yeah. Bill, Good. Sure. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I'm sorry we had a problem. No. So I, we, we're talking, as you've been hearing, about uh, the question of what we do to provide better OBGYN uh, uh, doctors for rural parts of the state, better care for uh pregnant women in in the state at large. And Adam, there are those who would say, again, I bring this back to politics because there is politics involved, that uh, there are many concerns among opponents of the new abortion law that this is going to discourage doctors from coming in Mm -hmm. to Georgia, that it is going to, it's certainly not going to do anything to expand the OBGYN pool that's available for Georgians. So, you know, these things all do come together. Yes, this is a human issue that's got to be solved, but politics is never far from these conversations. Politics is at the heart of this conversation. Let me give you guys a little bit of a, a little bit of context here. A couple of weeks ago, the day before the Georgia GOP convention, which was held here in Savannah, the Speaker of the House did a statewide tour uh, where he hit a lot. Uh, he hit Augusta, he hit Savannah, he hit some other communities, and, you know... I don't want to question his motives, but let's talk. We all know what was happening at this GOP convention. There was there was talk of disciplining him, so he did this tour around the state right before that, and he came in and he met with our editorial board, and that of course was also right about the same time as the heartbeat bill, and he came in and stressed to us that the heartbeat bill is more about a culture of life package, and what else can the legislature do? What else can they put around? the heartbeat bill, to really show that they care about the culture of life. That's not just about abortion. So they talked about strengthening the adoption laws, and they also talked about this maternal mortality committee. And it was just kind of, it was interesting timing. It was interesting. And I don't mean to, to say that, that it's all politically motivated, that they don't recognize this as a problem. They're not, that they're just, it's, they're just playing politics with it. But I think that really plays into it. And I think that the people of Georgia need to keep that in mind and keep the big picture in mind in, in what they're doing in the legislature. Now, that said, if that's what spurs them to action, then by God, that's good. Let's, yeah, let's Dar- take care of this. Darshan, that's exactly the point I was going to make. Another way of looking at this is to say that those of you who are opposed to HB 481, and so why don't we focus more on health care for uh, uh, pregnant women, for uh, 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 infants and youth, you know, all of those issues, that you you lost the war over abortion, but you won the battle by making people aware of the problems that exist. Yeah, and it, and it just continues. Um, I know the AJC had an article either last, the end of last week, talking about um, elderly people who are going to be taken off the Medicaid rolls. So, and there was a bill uh, for to give recess to children that was vetoed by the governor. So when you talk about this life culture, um, we have always said as uh, uh, opponents of 481 that we need to concentrate on the people that are here and living after actually birth. Um, so that means children all the way to the elderly. So I think w- what you can you can make a you know sort of a, a, a argument about is um, is that there's inconsistency when we. We are talking about something highly polarizing and highly political as HB 481 when we have these other issues. Yeah, but I'm suggesting maybe you were heard in this debate, and it's one of the reasons that the Speaker acted now to appoint this study committee. Or he just saw my bill, but we can, we can, we can do that, right? Uh, <laughs> Ariel, we got to get to Whatever a break. Takes. We got to get to a break, but I'm going to give you, we're going to move on to a couple of other important health care issues. But before we do, you got a last word on this particular issue? Yeah, I do. As much as this is about policy, we would all like to believe it's about policy. Um, I, I think our guest from Savannah was right. In the end, it comes down to the politics of how do you fund medical access
access to care. Right now in Georgia, a new mother expires on Medicaid after 60 days um, unless she makes, what, less than $5,000 a, um, a, a month. So it, you know, you're going to have to, or a year, sorry. Uh, so you're just going to have to figure out the politics of that. All right. My only comment is, you know, anytime that, that good politics lose, the good policy is a good thing, so just be happy with it. All right. Yeah, that's, that's a good point, too. All right. We're going to write that down, Ed, and refer back to it over and over. The Ed Lindsay Law of Good Politics. Uh, let's do this. Let's get our first break of the show out of the way. We do have a couple more uh, health care issues we want to talk about. We'll do that with the panel and then get to some presidential politics, among other things, after the break. You know, selling a car can be a hassle, but donating it is a whole different story. Let us take it off your hands or off your driveway and turn it into public radio and maybe even a tax deduction. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the host of Marketplace, and here is how to donate. Call 877-GPB-1-CAR or donate securely online at gpb.org slash cars. And thanks. Venezuela has reopened its main border crossing with Colombia, but it is still difficult for international agencies to bring in desperately needed food and medicine, so local charities have stepped up to help the country's needy. No public organization or international organization are taking care about of them. I'm Mary Louise Kelly. More from Venezuela this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. 4 till 7 today on GPB and gpbnews.org. Welcome back to Political Rewind. We're talking healthcare for the first part of the show. Uh, Ariel, let me have you kick us off again, if you could, on, on the next subject we want to address, and that's the governor's office has now chosen Deloitte, a big, major consulting firm, to uh, study, research, and then write the proposal for Medicaid and uh, ACA waivers. By that, yes. I think we're going to see from them some waiver that deals with some kind of expansion of Medicaid and then a proposal for how uh, the state might be able to supplement private insurance on the on the Obamacare markets right. for people who don't have enough money as it is. So uh, how long does this process take and what we don't know much about it? No, we don't know a whole lot. They've they kept a lot close to the vest, but um, we've learned a lot through the documents that have been released recently, and they are in a very tight timeline. They are off and running right now, um, and uh, they are within the next month um, supposed to start you know start their first deliverable, getting some information back to the governor's office, doing surveys. Um, and in the end, what the governor's office is going to expect is a choice of three uh, suggestions for a waiver for um, Medicaid and three suggestions for a waiver for the Affordable Care Act exchange. You know, Adam, one of the most interesting things to me about this is that um, the legislature, uh, until this session, had taken back control back in 2014 of the process of applying for waivers. They had said, we want to be in charge of whatever might happen with the future of Medicaid, allowing it to be expanded or whatever. Not actually waivers, but just voting on whether we should expand Medicaid. Yeah. And then they, they, because they were worried that maybe a Democrat would become governor yes, back Jason then, Carter. Jason <laughs> Carter might win. Now, Governor Kemp, during your session, Darshan, uh, has taken back control. So, Adam, the governor really now has this completely in his hands. We don't know whether he may uh, open up, once he sees a proposal, have any kind of public hearings, give legislators a chance to have an input. This could be a completely closed circuit operation. It could be, but I don't anticipate it being. Uh, to, to your initial point, I think maybe the legislature maybe trust Brian Kemp a little bit more than they than they did Nathan Deal when it comes to this kind of thing. I know that the, the Carter thing was, was obviously uh, a part of that as well, but uh, Nathan Deal was very much focused on, on pro-business and, and everything else be darned to a certain extent, and Medicaid expansion was something that is growing with even in some corporate parts of the state in terms of popularity. But I think the real thing is, is you have some leaders in the legislature now who are really taking this seriously. Senator Ben Watson, of course, is the head of the health committee. He's from here in Savannah. He is a physician. He made a point in January when we were up there to basically say, we need to find a way to cover these people, these people that aren't insured. And 
when you have your leaders in your legislature that feel that way, and they're working with the governor and, and basically handing it over to him, I think you're going to see Kemp's camp kind of operate the same way, and they're going to go at this together. I'd be surprised if, if we didn't see that. Ed, would you want, if you were a part of a, 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 a this discussion, to have at least one or two public hearings to let the public yeah. weigh in? Well, yeah, you, ne- you need public hearings, and you need a buy-in from the General Assembly. I mean, I was in the General Assembly in yeah. 2014 when this came up. And and let me give you a little newsflash. It wasn't so much Jason Carter. I mean, it's, it's a nice looking back thing. Well, it was a 2014. It was more a matter of the General Assembly, wanting, particularly the House, wanting to pull back its authority in terms of of control over the purse. Uh, any kind of expansion of Medicaid is going to involve more money coming from the state. Uh, and there was a great concern that the that the House in particular, who, who is the is the controller of the purse, had ceded too much authority to the governor and wanted to pull a lot of that back. We're now in a different situation here where we're talking about Medicaid waivers as opposed to simply a, uh, an expansion of Medicaid. And so the, the discussion has changed somewhat uh, from simply just trying to uh, increase the roles to trying to increase the quality of care. Because that's the biggest problem that we face here in Georgia uh, when it comes to Medicaid. It's not enough to simply increase the number of people that are on the Medicaid rolls if you don't have enough medical providers to take care of them. And I think, Ariel, you've, you've written several articles uh, over the last few years in which you have sort of pointed out that there is a huge problem in Georgia when it comes to uh, the number of doctors and health care providers who simply don't want to take Medicaid patients anymore. And and we've got to reverse that. I, Ariel, is that correct? That's not exactly what I was writing. I mean, we certainly have a massive yeah. uh, rural doctor shortage. Um, and I can't imagine that it helps that, you know, in uh, an average of 20% of their clients have no insurance mm-hmm. at all. Um, so, Darshan, of course, we know that Democrats have argued for any number, ever since the mm-hmm. uh, Affordable Care Act was put in place, that Georgia needs a complete expansion of Medicaid under the Obamacare rules that allow that to happen. The federal government pays some 90 percent of the costs of that, clearly. Um, and Stacey Abrams ran her gubernatorial campaign on saying full expansion of Medicaid, whereas uh, uh, Brian Kemp said, I'm willing to look at some tweaking that, it, yeah. that'll do a temp. So it's going to be hard for you to fight for a full expansion at this point. It's going to be limited, right? Yeah, so one of the things, and of course I serve in the um, as chief deputy with the Georgia House Democratic Caucus, but we've made a concerted effort on the House side as Democrats to really continue to push this conversation. We had a series of town hall meetings and press conferences just running the numbers. Um, and any way that you look at the proposal that was passed by the House, it ensures less people and it costs more. I mean, that's the that's the gist of it. That's that's the tagline, um, as, as we believe it as Democrats. And so, um, you know, we, we have some people who um, thought that maybe the waiver would cover some people. So that was good, better than nothing. But our message has always been full expansion of Medicaid, sort of either all expansion of Medicaid or none of the waiver action, um, particularly given the, the, the politics about around how much the consultant was going to get and things like that. But, but my point is that, is that simply expanding the number of folks who are on the rolls uh, without expanding uh, the number of medical providers willing to take Medicaid patients, which is an enormous problem here in this state, uh, really actually does nothing because it's no good having an insurance policy if you don't have access to care. And that's what the goal of the Medicaid waivers was, was to give uh, Georgia more flexibility in trying to uh, have more providers available for the folks who are on Medicaid. And, that's, me, and that's what's so important. Adam, jump in this. here. Are you there? <laughs> we l- well, can I, can I just say that yeah, to, to Ed's point, yeah. we're definitely not going to get any more providers when they think that uh, they're going to be prosecuted for abortion. So that... That is a a a, pu- a pushback to that conversation. Even if it's true, it yeah. it, it has some pushback. So it's certainly, the um, you know the doctors groups were um, among those who um, who 
protested the new abortion law. I think that the problems facing um, the problems facing access to medical care are are numerous, though. And, you know, you can start with um, there are many specialists who don't have to and don't want to take Medicaid. Um, and and that is definitely going to be an issue if you expand. Um, Mr. Lindsay is right about that. But then you've also got a lot of people who, uh, like I say, 20 percent of Georgians, um, they have nothing. They don't even have Medicaid or Medicare. And it's just odd. Adam, of course, the argument that Republicans have made, starting with Nathan Deal and moving forward, and Ed Lindsay, you may have been making this argument during your uh, years, final years in the legislature. Adam, the argument has been, well, right now the federal government will pick up 90% of the cost of a full expansion of Medicaid, but what happens when the government no longer is able to do that and the state has to foot the bill? Uh, we've seen no indication in, st- in some in states that have expanded Medicaid uh, fully among Republicans in those states that they're worried. Why? What's going on here in Georgia? I, I think the the Trump administration has made these other options available to the states and are more than likely pushing them toward them. Now, does that mean that they're going to all of a sudden pull back on the Medicaid match? I, I don't imagine that happening, you, especially not as you get closer and closer to an election. But if this is what the the federal government is pushing at the states, uh, especially a, a Republican administration and a Republican leader in the state, and it could be you know flip flop it. It would be the same same way. If the feds are are pushing you one way, then you kind of be a little bit crazy to to push back and go against it. All right. Um, so Ariel, let's just finish this part of the conversation by saying this. My understanding is that Deloitte has until sometime in September to deliver some form of proposal. Proposal to the state, and then they're going to work on it with the governor, and the state will uh, hopefully submit its proposal to the federal government by the end of this year, and then um, the state will respond to whatever questions the government has. And, you know, theoretically, in a fantasy world where everything goes smoothly, you could have it approved and starting to roll out next year. Um, and I think that all of that timeline is simply so that the Kemp administration can work with the Trump administration and not right. the Biden administration. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, one other quick issue here, and it's not so quick, but but we don't have as much time as uh, we might have otherwise done taken for this. But Ariel, you broke a story uh, the other day, last late last week, that... The uh, Department of Community Health has stripped Medicaid benefits from some 17,000 Georgians, disabled, elderly, poor people who are on them, saying that those people did not respond to a requirement that they reapply, basically renew Renew. their uh, uh, applications for Medicaid, but you also report that lawyers for some of these people can find no record that any kind of notice went out to these folks. What happened here? That is a great question. And I would say even the lawyers who are grappling with this do not understand what is happening exactly. Um, the Department of Community Health, DCH, has responded a bit, um, but they are just not explaining. Um you know, I would say, so this is what we know. What we know is DCH has confirmed what we suspected and asked them, which is that 17,000 people who get an additional type of Medicaid, they don't, they don't, they don't use only Medicaid. They're on Medicare and then they're so poor that Medicaid funds extra things like their $135 a month premium and prescriptions and whatnot that, that, um, that 17,000 people are being are having that extra Medicaid coverage canceled because they did not renew. And that is what DCH has told us. Now, the lawyers um, that I've been asking about this, they say that they have had clients come to them um, who say, I never got a notice. And in fact, it's not just that they say they've never got a notice because, you know, you can't really go on that. Um, It's that they can go into the client's Georgia Gateway computer account and they can see with their own two eyes as lawyers that 
notice was never sent. And so those are the clients that they're dealing with. I've spoken to some of those and, you know, they were very, um, you know, one fellow, he's a veteran and he he's just he's not too concerned because he's it's so absurd to him. He's like the, he has to believe the state will figure it out. I'll say in my dealings with the state, it's just it's just been tough to find out what's going on. I asked them today, I said, I'm going on Political Rewind uh, with Bill Nygut. <laughs> and um, I, did, you know, I just told him I'm going on the radio. And do you, you know, have any updates or any further answers? And all they said was just tell the folks to reapply. Darshan, you want to jump yeah. in? Yeah, so I spoke actually with um, the department or the liaison for the department. And the number is actually 30,000. They're going to push another 13,000 off the rolls, I think the end of the month. Um, and um, I got the same answer that uh, people were not responding. And um, and I asked, you know, let's just assume that you did send the notices out. Is there any follow up? Because my family lives here. So I have an elderly grandparent that is here. So to just send out a paper uh, notice that says renew, is there any follow up? Is there a phone call? And was essentially told that, you know, that's sort of not our job or we don't have resources for that. And I said that was unacceptable because I can't go to my constituents and say, well, they sent you out a notice elderly person. So they're going to kick you out the roll. So I do have follow up. But the number is actually going to be 30,000 by the end. So, so, but, but anyway, my, my, I guess Bill, my first question, Ariel, is this. If I can take the role of Bill Nugget here for a minute. Uh <laughs> What type of note? What are they supposed to do? So I think that that can take the form of whatever they request at the beginning. There's a, a button where they can say, you know, mail, U.S. mail, or, you know, or U.S. mail plus email or just email. And it should be pretty easy. I think on the Georgia Gateway account, there should be a button that you can just push that says renew and then it'll take you through the steps. Um, the folks I talk to, that is that doesn't appear on their account. And I've actually been talking to having these kind of disturbing conversations with a guy um, who's trying to ward this off with uh, he's a caretaker for a relative whose birthday is coming up this month. And he knows he should have gotten the notices and he hasn't gotten them. Adam, you know, the problem yeah, here, yeah. It, 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 Adam, um, so we could say in the most benign interpretation of this, this is a bureaucratic bungle of some sort. Sure. Uh, we could, um, if we, it, but but even if that's the case, at a time when we're when there are people who fear that conservatives are eager to strip government benefits away from uh, uh, as many people as possible, uh, this does not uh, look good for the Republicans uh, in, in in charge right now. As we we talk about work requirements for Medicaid, you know it. it it would not it's be. A far- it's a terrible look. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. It's, yeah. it's a it's a terrible look. I mean, we talk about Medicaid expansion, and and obviously there's the majority of the people in Georgia don't want Medicaid expansion. Or I mean, the polls might say elsewise, but the the polls say something else. The Republicans are are in control, and there's not going to be Medicaid expansion. But there's a fine line between Medicaid expansion and Medicaid contraction. Right. And it's, you know, what Darshan was saying earlier was something that Senator Watson told me actually just before we came on the air today that, yeah, there is another 13,000 people that are going to hit the rolls. Here is the catch is that the feds are going to ask for this money back if the renewal process is not done properly. They're, they're required to renew every year. And if they don't have the proper, we all know, bureaucracy, you got to have the paperwork, you got to cross your T's and dot your I's, and if it's not done right, then the feds are going to ask the state for the money back. So that's why the state really has an interest in making sure this is done, whether it's kicking people off the rolls or, or getting them done properly. Now, you know, we all agree that getting it done properly and taking care of these people, and yes, they a lot of them, most of them have the Medicare coverage that the Medicaid is basically a stopgap behind them. But that's still pretty important, I think. In, in Ariel's story, she talked to somebody who was down down this way in Vidalia that the Medicaid benefits that she got off of this covered her physical therapy after a stroke. And then if she hadn't gotten that kind of treatment, that it really could have been uh, really, really traumatic for her. So I, <laughs> the state needs to step in and own this and take care of this and move forward. Senator Watson said he did not envision at this point where the legislature needs to step in on this. He seemed pretty confident that it was going to be taken care of. 
but that everybody needs to get on the same page and, and get the ball rolling. Ed, well, the, the fact of the matter is we've seen bureaucratic snafus on health care, and it's a bipartisan problem when it comes to this situation. We all recall the the disastrous Obamacare rollout on its with it with its um, online uh, sign up program, and now we've got this going yeah. on here in Georgia, and it's and it's unacceptable whether or not it, there's a Democrat in charge or a Republican in charge. It's unacceptable. You've got uh, seventeen to thirty thousand people uh, who, uh, who who want to play by the rules and and need their coverage, and and it's time for the department to step up and and fix this problem. Uh, to err is human, to forgive divine, but only after you get it fixed. Another quote from Ed Lindsay. <laughs> yeah. I'm making a list. Uh, Ariel, that's there not is, his, though. Yeah, no, that's well, not mine. We know. Yeah, Somebody we, else had it before I me. get it. I, I, Ed Shakespeare <laughs> Lindsay. Ariel, is there a remedy? Uh, you know, you, that, I think, uh, is an answer that lies within um, the Department of Community Health and DFACS, which runs the website. I have to believe there is. Everything is fixable. It just takes resources and uh, will. Uh, in the meantime, uh, I just wanted to note that on the uh, on every notice that goes out to someone who's had their benefits canceled, there's a recommendation that if you uh, disagree with us, you can call these lawyers, and that is Georgia Legal Services and Atlanta Legal Aid. And maybe I can give you the phone numbers to post on the website. Yeah, I think Robert Jimison would be glad okay. to do that. All right. Well, in the meantime, it just does not look good for the Department of Community Health that we have this problem. All right. Uh, let's do this. Let's take another break. And when we come back, uh, let's keep talking. Why don't we talk about some presidential politics? I am going to ask Darshan Kendrick the question I am now on every show asking uh, Democrats, and that is, do you have a candidate for president yet? Hold on, Darshan. <laughs> we'll do that after the break. My name is Dana Brown. I am the program manager at the Georgia Adoption Reunion Registry. Our goal is to help persons impacted by adoption experience healthy reconnections to impact healthy well-being. We underwrite with GPB because of your extensive listening audience that covers the state of Georgia. It's an effective way to get the word out about what we do across the state of Georgia. To find out more about becoming a corporate sponsor, email sponsorship at gpb.org. On the next Fresh Air, inside Kim Jong-un's North Korea, we speak with journalist Anna Fifield, who's visited the country 12 times and interviewed members of the leader's family. We'll talk about daily life and economic change, the regime's brutal repression, the failed nuclear talks with the U.S., and some strange moments when Dennis Rodman visited the country. Fifield's new book is The Great Successor. Join us. Fresh Air is this afternoon at 3 on GPB and gpbnews.org. We're back on Political Rewind. Uh, Adam Van Brimmer is down in the Savannah Bureau. He <coughs> is uh, with Savannah News, Savannah Now. Uh, Ed Lindsay is here, Ariel Hart from the AJC, and Darshan Kendrick is with us as well. Big day in presidential politics for people out in Iowa. Both President Trump and Joe Biden, who the president seems to be most concerned about as a possible uh, opponent in the fall of uh, next year and they're both out there and they're both taking shots at each other as he was getting set to board marine one to begin his trip to iowa here's what president trump said about joe biden well i heard biden uh, who's a loser i mean look joe never got more than one percent except obama took him off the trash heap and now it looks like he's failing it looks like uh his friends from the left are going to overtake him pretty soon. But I heard, he, you know, his whole campaign is to hit Trump. You look at what the Obama administration did in terms of the military, in terms of security, in terms of other nations, in terms of almost everything. Much of it now, fortunately for everybody here, has been overturned. But look, when a man has to mention my name 76 times in a speech, that means he's in trouble. You'd think President Trump would love to hear that his name has been mentioned 76 right. times by anybody. Uh, meanwhile, Joe Biden is out in eastern Iowa. He's making uh, stops in Ottumwa and a number of other uh, cities in the eastern part of the state. And here's what he had to say. Iowa farmers have been crushed by his tariff war with China. And no one knows better than the folks in Iowa. He thinks that being tough... Uh, is great. Well, it's really easy to be tough when someone else absorbs the pain. Farmers, manufacturers, automobile industry. 
The fact is, uh, he backed off this threat on tariffs with Mexico lately because uh, he uh, realized that um, he was likely to lose Michigan, Ohio, and Iowa. All of a sudden, he has, as we say in Southern Delaware, had an altar call. He's seen the Lord. And, uh, but make no mistake, uh, if, uh, if in fact uh, things get tough again, he's going to start to threaten tariffs again. To him, American workers, in my view, are just a pawn. There are pawns in his game. All right, Darsha, and there's the uh, back and forth between uh, Trump and Biden. You're raising your eyes. For those who are not watching on Facebook, you're raising your eyes to the heavens like, what is this all about? Do you have a candidate yet? I don't, and I'm, I'm raising my eyes because Trump just makes me want to curse all the time. But um, <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have a candidate. I was leading leaning Biden, but because, as you know, the heartbeat bill is so, it's my number one issue, yeah. and he I didn't think he uh, came out strong enough or fast enough for me. He sort of On went the down. Amendment. Right. He's uh, That too, but he, even before then, he didn't really, oh, okay. to me, he, he wasn't strong enough. Um, so so he's, he's slipping down, but listen, I got like 1,567 Democrats to choose from. So um, eventually, <laughs> eventually I'm, I'm going to choose one. But abortion and health care particularly is going to be one of my issues I look at. Are you beginning, are, are any of you and your colleagues in the legislature beginning to get uh, peppered by a campaign saying, are you, would, you, would you support us? Or is, that, is it a little early for that at this point? It's a little early. And of course, we had uh, the DNC that was yeah. here last week um, and I had a chance to talk to Congressman Beto O'Rourke so um, you know I think we're just having conversations right now um, and just trying to see who is going to be the best because it's a mix right it's not just about who I like I need to pick somebody I like or can tolerate at least and can beat Trump so right. I think it's a lot of things that are going into it and it strikes me that uh, in that exchange we just listened to um, that's good for Biden because oh, yeah. here's, here's, here's oh, the yeah. thing. So all the democratic candidates were in Iowa for big, what we call beauty pageant this weekend. They were all out there talking to a uh, big democratic gathering. Biden didn't go. Uh, he decided to keep himself separate from that pack goes out there now two days later and the president essentially by attacking him as vociferously and often is saying, He's signaling to Democrats, hey, this is, he, he's, he's making it a two-man race. Now, that doesn't mean all the Democrats, that Biden's the shoe-in, but it does help Biden, I think, to have the president attacking him most often. Of course. I mean, you know, the, the, the best thing that, that, that a Democrat can have right now is to have uh, President Trump uh, attack him. And uh, I'm sure that the Biden folks are, are, are popping champagne corks every time uh, that it occurs. And, you know, the question is uh, for the president is uh, be careful who you trump, uh, for want of a uh, better term, uh, to be your opponent because you may get shocked. Uh, Casey Cagle, let me go back to Georgia, very much wanted Kemp to be uh, the person he faced in a runoff. Guess who won that runoff? Mm -hmm. Uh, Stacey Abrams very much wanted uh, Governor Kemp to be the person that she faced in the general election. Guess who won that general election? So, uh, you, you know, I always tell my friends on either side of the political aisle, be careful about trying to pick your, your next opponent. They may be the one that you have to co make that call to concede to. Adam, what's the temperature down there in Savannah uh, among the Democrats that you talk to? Are, is there somebody emerging down there in Democratic circles who uh, people seem to favor? Are they all over the map? As Darshan said, there are about 1,400 candidates running for the nomination. Right. right. There's, there's, they're all over the map. I mean, I do find it odd that, that President Trump would focus on the one that at least appears to be the most moderate, the one that there's a lot of Republicans and conservatives that there, there's some never Trumpers out there and that will look across the aisle. And if they had to choose between Trump and maybe a liberal progressive, they would sit it out or, or maybe even hold their nose and, and vote for Trump again. But if Trump, basically is promoting a, a moderate somebody that would be very palatable to to a more moderate voter then that just that doesn't that's kind of counterintuitive to me but 
President Trump does things his own way, right? Ariel Darshan said, you know, the issues matter to her are abortion and health care. We saw in the 2018 off-year elections what an important role pre-existing conditions played. Uh, where are we heading with health care as an issue in the presidential race? Um, well, in the presidential race, you know, I, I think that the Trump administration has really backed off of its efforts to repeal the Affordable Care Act, to undermine essential benefits. And um, they're they're doing some of those things, but in more oblique ways. Um, the Trump administration now is in kind of administrative ways, really trying to push things like association health plans, which don't cover the same things as Affordable Care Act plans, um, but it doesn't sound as bad. So, I, you know, I think pre- on the presidential level, you know, you'll probably still see health care used as a weapon, um, but I, it's going to be more complicated now because Trump is right now no longer branding himself as the guy who's going to take away health care insurance. So... Um, I, on a state level, it's it's different, I think. Yeah. Ed? You know, health care is going to be a huge issue uh, in 2020. Uh, no question about it. Uh, the importance of the, of the abortion issue yet to be played out, uh, I think it cuts both ways. Uh, you know, we tend sometimes on the show to focus on how it's galvanizing Democrats, but it's also galvanizing Republicans. Uh, who feel like uh, Governor Kemp fulfilled one of his promises and and has energized them. Uh, but health care is, is one of those train run-on-time issues that folks are going to simply want to know, okay, how are you going to improve the quality of my life? All right. We're running out of time. But, Darshan, uh, I do want to ask you one final question, uh, because you said you haven't picked a candidate yet. Uh, the big debate going on among Democrats right now is what are we looking for? Uh, a candidate like an Elizabeth Warren, who's uh, uh, really progressive, has lots of ideas for moving the ball towards a more progressive agenda for this country, or somebody who is electable. A lot of people think that's Joe Biden. What's more important, electability against President Trump or electability within the notion of a progressive campaign that will bring new ideas to the table? Uh, I'm going to say electability um, because obviously that's the end goal. But, you know, I am I am still hoping that there is a candidate that can have a little bit of both, um, because I do think you're going to need to, you know, the old saying that Democrats need to fall in love with a candidate in order to get out the vote. I do do think that you're going to need somebody who's going to galvanize them and might might not be that that particular person. But at the end of the day, I just want Trump out of the White House. So I'm just going to be honest. <laughs> I think you made that quite clear. Well, let, me, let me add one other Real thing quick. that's yeah, important we're... to remember. Uh, Bernie Sanders has already won in one sense. He has captured the hearts and minds of the Democratic Party. And you've seen an enormous shift to the left uh, uh, versus only two to four years ago. And so the question is, can the Democratic Party come back to the middle? And mm-hmm. I'm not convinced they can. And can the Republican – well, the Republican Party isn't coming back to the middle. They're staying right with Trump. All right, we're completely out of time uh, for today's show. Uh, Ariel Hart, Ed Lindsay, Darshan Kendrick, uh, Adam Van Bremer down in Savannah. Thank you all so much for being with us. Hey, tomorrow um, we're going to have a great show for you uh, because Mike Thurmond, the CEO of DeKalb County – candidate for U.S. Senate, legislator, Labor Department chief, and Georgia historian and lawyer is going to come in and talk to us about uh, his career. I'm really looking forward to the conversation, so I hope you'll join us at 2 o'clock. I'm Bill Nygut. See you then.